Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. You know this passage, but we'll read it nonetheless. I talked Friday night about peace. Today we'll be looking at joy, and last week we looked at um, hope. The hope that uh, with the whole uh, of Israel and the world was looking to, to, we looked last week at that and said today in this part three, if you will, of this Messiah in a Manger series. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand, but uh, we're going to start with verse 8, Luke chapter 2. If you can put a Bible in anyone's hand that is raised, thank you. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Doesn't that sound like fun? You think your house isn't all you wanted it to be, right? living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Not just joy, great joy which shall be to all people. In other words, it's extended to all people. It doesn't mean that all people will receive it, but it's extended to all people. God has no respecter for this joy. is extended to all in verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. The city of David. A Savior was Christ the Lord. Now later, Jerusalem will also be called the city of David as well. This is Bethlehem, but uh, that's because it was David's lineage comes from Bethlehem, but later you would also see that Jerusalem is also referred to as the city of David. So it goes on, but this is speaking of Bethlehem. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill, toward men. So let's pray again. Father, we thank you for joy. We thank you that Jesus is the manifestation of joy because he has brought salvation and with salvation we can be flooded with joy knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we have peace and relationship with God the Father. Lord, I pray that you would speak through these words, speak through your word, speak through me. Lord, remove me, but speak through me. And Lord, that we would hear Jesus this morning. And that, Lord, we would be those that would leave this place filled with joy because the Spirit has given us the joy that you have desired that we would know in our souls and so, Jesus, we just ask that you bless this time this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The whole Christmas story is permeated with joy. We see it in multiple places. Um, Friday night, 
the kids really exhibit joy, don't they? I mean, you don't have to. One of the things I like about kids is you don't have to teach them how to be joyful. Adults, they become jaded, and life is lame, and all these different things. They got bills, and they got problems. But kids just, just you should have seen them Friday night, just bursting forth with joy. They're up here in their pajamas. They didn't care. <laughs> you don't want to be up here in your pajamas, but they didn't care. They just fill with joy. I also like that uh, children, not only are they, uh, they don't mind just kind of bursting forth with joy. Why? It's good to hang out around kids sometimes. If you haven't hung out around kids a while, some of you moms are like, here, I'll let you borrow mine. If you need, you know, if you want to test drive for a little while, go for it. But, uh, but they really do kind of, uh, you see things through the eye of a child. I think that's why Jesus said we had to become like children, right? You don't have to convince a child that Jesus existed. You don't have to convince a child that Jesus is the only way to bring joy, but you do. As a matter of fact, the only time kids stop believing this kind of stuff is when adults get a hold of them, right? Say, oh, that stuff's not true. You know, uh, they don't say that about other things that really aren't true. But kids exhibit this joy, and one of the things I like about kids, too, is um, they're even joyful in how they present information. I was reading a story, true story about a teacher, uh, and she said that one of her students uh, came in brimming with joy and had a bag that looked a little bit like it had already been used, like one of these secondhand Christmas bags, regifting. you know how that worked? Uh, so comes in, school teacher, he, he says, uh, so my mom got this, from somebody as a gift, and she didn't like it. And she tried to give it to our neighbor, and they didn't like it. And she tried to give it to some relatives, and they didn't like it. And she called around, and no one wanted it, so she told me to bring it and give it to you. <laughs> With a big smile, enthusiastic, like, you are the winner. You know, like, just tell the whole thing with joy. And the teacher, by the way, the teacher said, parents would be amazed at what kids tell them about their parents that you didn't think the kids were listening and uh, they thought it was just free information that you were really wanting everybody to know that. But um, so be careful what you're saying. But, uh, but anyway, uh, kids have that joy, but God really wants us to experience that kind of joy. And you can't experience that kind of joy until you've come to, to know Jesus. Now, the coming of Jesus, we see right here in the text that the angels proclaim it with joy uh, but again, it's all throughout the story. It's not just there. When Jesus was still inside of Mary, and then she has, uh, she has her cousin, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is pregnant with John, who you might know as John the Baptist. I talked about this Friday night. His name was not John the Baptist. He wasn't John the Lutheran. He wasn't John the Presbyterian. He wasn't John the Methodist. He did a lot of baptizing, therefore he's, oh, thank you. If you're Carlite, no, that's not what it says. Um, so uh, John was inside of Elizabeth, and Mary comes, and she's coming to spend some time there to kind of get away from the scene in Galilee where she's kind of, everyone knows she's pregnant. They don't know it's the Holy Spirit. So she comes down there, and when she 
draws near to Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby John leaps with joy. And that was the, that's not John, by the way, but um, <laughs> it's not John. But the baby leapt with joy. And I think you'd agree, um, children have the right response to Jesus automatically. They have the right response. Generally speaking, I'm not saying this, but generally speaking, children have the right response to Jesus. Adults often have the wrong response. They have like a, like a Herod Pharaoh response, a resistance. But children automatically... Uh, and so I think there's even something, guys, the baby inside the womb leaps for joy. Now, babies responding to Jesus is pretty unusual. A baby inside a mother responding to Jesus, I'd have to say, I think you'd agree, that's a one-time deal. That's, we've never really seen that before or since, right? A lot of things about the birth of Jesus were a one-time deal. One virgin birth, one baby leaping. Inside of another, right? Inside of another mother. Having this communicate. John the Baptist and Jesus having this conversation, if you will, womb to womb. Amazing stuff, right? There was a lot of firsts. Even Elizabeth's pregnancy itself was a miracle. She was too old. Well, not with God, right? That had happened before. Sarah and Abraham. So this is, this is stuff that we, we see. And, but this taking place, this baby inside a mother, joyful about the other. It was the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is also confirming what the angels were confirming, that God says this coming is with joy. The Holy Spirit prompts John. John could not, inside of his mother, know to leap for joy. The Holy Spirit prompts it. And we have proof here, by the way, that when joy gets a hold of you, it can cause you to physically respond. John does a little praise dance, if you will, inside the womb. Worship, uh, by the way, when you really start worshiping with joy, Paul said, I would that men everywhere lift holy hands to the Lord. If you wonder why I say, why do we lift our hands worshiping? Well, you don't have to, but you're going to find that when you get to heaven, worship will be so joyful, you'll have responses that if you don't understand how this works now, you will learn what it means to fall at the feet of Jesus. You'll fall at your face before him. It'll have a physical impact. It won't just be with your mouth. You literally will respond with some level of joy. So you need to start practicing now. In Matthew chapter 2, Luke records that the wise men that came from the east, when they saw the star, now they, they had been trying their best to get there. Long trip across Mesopotamia and uh, over to what is modern-day Israel. But when they saw the star after they had visited Herod, and Herod uh, said, you know, I'd like to worship him too. He's like, if you show, show me where he is, I can take him out quick. But when they got to Bethlehem and the star rested over the place where Jesus was, it says they rejoiced with exceedingly, here it is again, great joy. 
Do you notice the response? The angel. John. The wise men. And so uh, when the angel proclaimed to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people, it's confirmation. For us, it's confirmation that the logical response to the birth and the coming of Jesus, the logical response, if you say, well, I'm into logic, so I don't really believe the Bible. By the way, if you really studied the Bible, you know, someone like C.S. Lewis had a genius IQ. When he studied the Bible, he realized it was true. But the logical response to the coming of Jesus is joy. The shepherds, they were afraid not about the news. They were afraid to see something supernatural about the angel. Like, if you've never seen a powerful angel, you might be afraid too. They were not afraid of the news that came. The news gave them joy. They were afraid of, whoa, we're out here in a dark night, and this is not like a normal night. We're not used to seeing angelic beings with power show up. And so they were afraid. But once they understood the message, they responded with joy. They understood that the Savior, that the hope for them personally and the hope for the world had burst forth in the darkness. Then the message gave them joy. It wasn't even the angels. The angels gave them immediate fear, but the message gave them joy. By the way, it's the message of Jesus that gives joy. It's the Word. Last Sunday, we looked at, at the hope that was promised long before Jesus arrived, that 4,000-year wait from the Garden of Eden to the time Jesus goes to the cross. And generation after generation had looked forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward because he had not yet come. Friday evening, uh, I spoke uh, just a few minutes about the peace that's provided with the coming down of Jesus. Jesus comes down. He brings peace. We talked about his name, Friday night meaning Prince of Peace. In other words, he controls peace. We talked about no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. In Psalm 119, 166. Well, I got ahead of myself, but this is a good psalm too. But anyway, uh, Lord, I hope for your salvation. And when the hope of salvation is fully revealed... And the peace of God is provided in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy, once you really understand the gospel, joy and receive it, joy can't help but burst forth. It couldn't be held back 2,000 years ago, and it shouldn't be held back today. And if we've come to personally know the hope and peace of Jesus, if we've made room in our hearts for him, like the wise men, we've bowed down and surrendered. We've really bowed down before the Lord. Uh, the Greek word of joy will experience... You ready for You want to know what the Greek word for joy means? You ready for it? It means joy. <laughs> the Greek word for joy means joy. It also means gladness and joyful. But 90% of the time, the actual rendering is joy. Joy equals joy. Gladness and joyful are just ways we kind of understand that word joy. In the Old Testament, there's a word joy. Uh, it's called simcha in the Greek. It's kara, but in the Old Testament, simcha, it means the same exact thing. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, New Testament, the words don't mean exactly the same, 
But joy is the same throughout the Bible. Joy always means joy. All throughout the scriptures, joy always means gladness. Always means glad. You never have to wonder, I wonder if this word joy means sadness. No. Always means gladness. Always means joy. And in Psalm 1611, if you look up on the screen, uh, this verse, this passage from David, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's understand what David is saying in this passage directly related to the life of Jesus Christ and the life of Christ in us being a byproduct, byproduct of joy. Uh, the reason why, if you, if you go back and you look up Psalm 16 on your own, if you jot it down, you'll note that several verses are absolutely messianic, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the fact that he would have a resurrection, all of that. You know, you find different passages throughout the Old Testament, but part of that is in Psalm 16. We looked at some of those messianic prophecies last week with the coming hope. But there was joy at the birth of Jesus, but I think David's hinting to something more here. There's joy, he said, in the presence, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of God. Now, the angel told Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus' name, among different names Jesus would have, because he didn't have a single name, he had different names, but they all spoke to different aspects of his character or his titles. But one of the names of Jesus would be Emmanuel, right? We use that term around this season. There are songs that employ that term, Emmanuel. But we know, because it's, it's stated right there, from the angel, it means God with us. The coming of Jesus was God coming in human form. But even Jesus, who was physically on the earth for 33 years, he was not living, when he was here, he was not living inside of his followers and believers. He was around them, but he was not living in them during his 33 year ministry. So as David references here, just the presence of God brings joy and gladness. This is before Jesus ever came. This is well before he came, but David's saying, your presence, just your presence is fullness of joy. The saints of old, before the coming of Jesus, they experienced the presence of God. If you read about the Old Testament saints, you read about Job, you read about Noah, they experienced the presence of God. Matter of fact, they had some things that we didn't get, like most of us have not had God speak to us audibly like Abraham did or Moses did, correct? But when you hear God's voice audibly like Moses did or Abraham, they were experiencing the presence of God. David heard the audible voice of God. I have not heard the audible voice of God. Some of the TV evangelists have, but I have not. That was a... I, I went too far there, sorry. But anyway... Um, But they understood, in the Old Testament, they understood and experienced the presence of God. But the coming of Jesus ushered in a new phase in God's unfolding plan. It was a whole new phase with Jesus coming. 
And so Jesus came to live inside so the presence and the fullness of joy would not just be God around us, but God in us. Amen? That's why Jesus came. Because before that, he's walking, before that he's speaking to the patriarchs, and they experience the presence of God. Then he comes, he walks among the apostles and disciples, and he's, they're around him. But then he said, but that's not even the full fulfillment. I've come that your joy would be full. We want to understand how this comes about. So Jesus, understand that he was sent first and foremost not to end up on Christmas cards, not to end up in Christmas movies, not even to end up in Christmas songs about him. That was not why he came. Mankind gets some things right, and we even get some things wrong, and we get some things neutral, which are neither right nor wrong. They're just traditions and things like that, right? Even Jesus talked about the traditions of men. All traditions are not sin, but they're not spiritual either. They can be just traditions. You can have a family tradition and there's nothing spiritual about it, not sinful, not spiritual. It's just a tradition, right? And Jesus said, don't get locked into the traditions of men and make them spiritual when they're not. But it doesn't mean they're wrong either. But just understand their place. But when you understand the place of Jesus, it's very important that we understand why he came in the first place. He said he was sent first and foremost, and the scriptures are right on the screen so you can see him. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to stay in a manger. He didn't come to build a following. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He also says that he would give his life a ransom for many. He, was, he came to give his life. You know, most kings come to set up shop and to be served. But he said I, he didn't come to serve. He said he, I mean, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he also said, I'm the good shepherd that lays down his life. It's interesting. We're compared to as dirty, not real bright sheep, right? We'll walk right off a cliff, right? Right on into eternity, Right? off the cliff. He said, I've come to seek and save, but as a shepherd, he not only takes the sheep, but then he has a simultaneous picture that he's actually the spotless lamb. He's the lamb and the shepherd. Interesting, huh? Again, you understand these different titles. But the understanding of these things, when the apostles would start to get it, whatever joy they had about when they first met Jesus was exponential when they understand that he's their savior, but he'd come to live inside of them. That fullness that Jesus was talking about. But there can be no fullness. There can be no fullness without first, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus for salvation. So there's not joy for most people. That's why, you know, when I see people that don't know the Lord, I've, I've been to places where maybe there's thousands of people singing a Christmas carol. I've talked about this. And they... They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. So it's just words to them. They're just singing the words. Joy to the world. You know, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean that much to them because they've not experienced salvation. They've not experienced these very reasons that Jesus came to seek and save, to take their sins upon himself, to be not just the good shepherd, but their shepherd. 
The, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I can't choose him to be your shepherd. You have to say, I believe, and he becomes your shepherd. David said, he's, I know he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But each person has to make that individual choice. Jesus comes and seeks you and says, do you want to follow me? And then people say, yes or no. If you say yes, you get to be flooded with joy. You say no, you still don't know why other people are so joyful about all this Jesus stuff, right? But this is why he came. We have a greater fulfillment than David's praise, that in his presence is fullness of joy. And we looked at that peace that comes down on Friday night. And we've, we've really come to know the hope of our salvation. When we found peace with God, when we've really found peace with God, how could you not have joy? Really, how could you not have joy? I remember my salvation like it was yesterday. 1995, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Me and my wife walked forward the same day. I mean, I know the oppression I had of knowing the guilt I was still under, knowing all the sins that I had not been atoned in my life, right? You know, knowing all the things that I knew. Matter of fact, as clear as a bell, I've told my testimony many times, clear as a bell, it's like the Holy Spirit told me, this is your chance. This is your moment. You might want to grab it. It was like, I didn't hear any audible voice from God, but it was like God was clear as a bell saying, you want to take your foot and move it in that direction. But that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus being rough with me. It was him being gentle because eternity is a long time. You know, sometimes parents really loving will be kind of firm with their kids. That was God. My salvation, God got a little firm with me in a good way and says, you're going to want this kind of joy, but you better get moving. I just felt like the Lord was saying, this is your opportunity. Because I had heard the gospel so many times and it rejected, 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 rejected. And God says, here you go. It's, the free gift is here. Are you going to take it or not? Me and my wife did on the, uh, on the same day. and So joy, how could it not come forth? We know that um, Jesus, he came to save us, and we're to have joy about that. But he said that it was good that I came and that I'm going back to the Father because he said, my going back to the Father is me imparting the Holy Spirit to you. Because you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people that are unfamiliar with what, how the Trinity works, well, to a certain extent, no one can explain it. It's beyond human comprehension. But we know enough of what... Here's what we do know, whatever God says about it. That we know. So here's what we know. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit has been sent to live in the lives of believers. Now, the Holy Spirit is not only in believers. The Holy Spirit is all over the universe, just like God the Father and God the Son. So the Holy Spirit's not limited to inside of us, but before Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit was not dwelling was not tabernacling in the saints of God. But now, Jesus said, it's good that I go to the Father because I'm going to send 
the Spirit, and the Spirit will dwell in you. And so it's the Spirit that allows us to continually connect with the joy of God. Does that make sense? The Spirit never needs to learn about joy. The Spirit is joy. Jesus doesn't need to learn about joy. He is joy. The Father doesn't need to learn about joy. He is joy. We, on the other hand, still have a flesh part that gets out of whack, right? And so we have to have the Spirit living in us to connect to the joy of God. We're to have joy and rejoice that Jesus came. But again, we now have the opportunity to have a joy that supersedes our circumstances. And a lot of our circumstances aren't good, right? I mean, on face value, now, a lot of times God would say, you know, in Psalm 119, which I read from Psalm 119 earlier, uh, we may not like this verse, but uh, the psalmist tells us it's a true fact of our growth and our maturing in the Lord. He said it was good that I was afflicted. You will not like being afflicted in life. You will never say, bring on the affliction. <laughs> you know what I want in 2019? I want a lot of affliction. I want a double dose. Lord, give me a triple dose of affliction. You will not be asking God for affliction, and yet God will sometimes say you're going to get a little affliction, yeah. and you're going to learn to still have joy in the midst of it. Because yeah. Yeah. Jesus, it said he had joy even looking towards the cross. How do you look at a crucifixion and have joy? Well, because his joy was always connected to the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was that the world would be saved. And Jesus said, my joy is to do the will of the Father. That was, that was his joy. And when you and I start to have joy that's based on the will of the Father and not based on our circumstances, we can have joy that Jesus said, I've come that your joy would be what? Full. I, I highlighted two things. Jesus said, my joy, I love what it says. You can just drop it straight down. My joy becomes your joy. If you're lacking joy here today, guess where you need to go to get it? Jesus. He says, my, isn't that an awesome thing? The wise men brought gifts. Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm the one who will be giving you a gift. You, how do you give gold to God? Lord, we're going to bring you some of this metals that you created. We're going to bring you some of this uh, frankincense that came out of the trees, because that's what comes. comes. You get sap out of the trees, and they squeeze it. Uh, you made trees, and here, we want to give you some of your trees back. We want to give you some of your metal back. We mine this out of the ground. We want to give you some myrrh. I mean, it's a great thought. Because it, it does cost us something in this lifetime to give back to God because we know that we worked and there, there was sweat we put into it and we put in a 50-hour week and all that stuff and so you give to the Lord. But that notwithstanding, Jesus says, the gift is me giving to you eternal life. And with eternal life, I'm going to give you joy to get through this life because you're going to need some joy to get through this life. Amen. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit but the presence of the Holy Spirit connects with the Father, and the Father and the Son say, this is my joy. And I love Jesus. My joy can become your joy. Now, there's times when I'm not experiencing joy, and I'm saved. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. Where you know the Lord, and you're not joyful. Matter of fact, you're in a bad mood. 
You're bummed out. You're not smiling like this girl. You're all angry because your day didn't go right. Your night didn't go right. The job didn't go right. Things that yesterday our washing machine broke. I wasn't really happy about it. I'm, st I'm still dealing with it. But anyway, um, <laughs> it really did. I mean, for real. I was like, all right, Christmas week. We Best Buy. Mary, put a bow on the washing machine. You know, this is going to be great, you know. But, um, but joy isn't about our circumstances. Jesus says, my joy is supernatural. Isn't that great to know? The joy of the Lord is supernatural. And Jesus said, I want to give you this joy. He says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Hmm. May remain in you. That gives us a hint that it could not remain in us. This is to Christians now. This isn't just to people that don't know. This is to Christians. He said, my joy might remain in you. He said, I want it to stay there. I don't want it to leave you. That my joy might remain in you, that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you and me to be joyful year-round, not just around Christmas Eve or when we're opening a present that we really want. The gospel means good news. You know that. And our joy of being saved in Christ should, it should create a contagious joy. Just like kids have a contagious laughter, we should have a contagious joy knowing what Christ has done for us. But, but it should come straight from Jesus. His joy should be transferred to us. And by the way, when you meet a really joyful Christian, you'll know you've met a joyful Christian. Yes. It's not like Pastor Joe says in Philadelphia, you can't fake genuine. When you meet a real joyful person, you will know it. When someone's faking joy, you don't have to get to know them too long before you realize that ain't really the real deal. I've seen how they act in traffic. I've seen how they... Uh, 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 that, <laughs> When the shepherds saw Jesus, everyone knew it. Said they went and told everybody. Remember, they weren't afraid of the message. They were afraid of the moment. They weren't afraid of the message. Once they met Jesus, they couldn't help but tell. They're all excited. They didn't care if you thought that they didn't have the pedigree. Hey, you guys haven't been to theology school and blah, blah, blah. They didn't care about any of that. They told anyone that they could, we met the king. We met the savior. The joy was contagious. So how's your joy? Are we truly joyful? Or are we good at faking it? Are we truly joyful? Are we just good at having people think we're joyful? And how does, how does real joy grow? Jesus said, I want it to remain in you. Not only in remain, but even that it would multiply. But he says, I want it to remain in you because it's possible that your joy could dissipate and you could actually become a bitter believer. It's possible. He doesn't want to see that in our lives, but it's possible. Well, the joy remains. Jesus, by the way, uh, every question he asks, he gives answers to. You know, he always asks people questions that you're like, does he know the answer? Well, no, he's seeing if you know the answer and I know the answer. He knows the answer. He'll ask people all the time. I, I even, it's amazing that he would ask people, do they want to be healed? You would think they want to be healed, but I've met enough people in ministry now that I've found not everybody wants to be healed. A lot of people want to hold on to their bitterness. They want to hold on to their pain. They don't want to be joyful. If they're joyful, someone's getting away with it. That ex-spouse or this, that, or that, you know, the boss or, you know, it, whatever it is, they want to hold on. To it. Jesus says, 
I've come that you would release those things and I'll put joy in your hands and you don't have to hold on to all that other stuff. How is our joy? Well, the way joy grows, we know that Jesus my joy will become your joy. We know it comes from him and it only comes when we remain planted and abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. There's no substitute for this. You will never be able to substitute and say, you know, in 2019, I want joy to grow, but I want to have it happen outside of prayer in the Bible. There's not, there's not, that, that would be like saying, I want my child to grow outside of water and food. Right? If you have a, new, if you have a baby, you're going to have to give them beverages, preferably healthy ones, and food. And Jesus says, you're going to need to abide in me. You're going to, for joy to continue, you'll have to continue to be fed. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Yeah. Remember, he said that he was the fulfillment of the type or shadow of manna in the Old Testament. So manna was to feed people that would have otherwise would have starved to death, right? They would have starved to death in the, in, the, in the desert. And Jesus says, I've come, the world would starve if it weren't not for me. Yeah. And our joy will starve if it's not being fed. By the way, they had to collect the manna every day. You need a daily supply of joy from Jesus. Because it has to be, it has to be daily received from him. You don't really get like a 10-week supply and say, well, I, get, I got uh, the Costco version of joy, and I just kind of <laughs> stockpile it. I stockpile it in the closet, and then about 10 weeks later, I just kind of chip away at it. Now you get a daily dose. And so he said, you have to remain, remain abiding. You can't cut up a tree in your yard, stick it in, the, stick it in the middle of the street, and think it won't die. It has to stay planted. Amen? Those of you that like to grow things, just try it. You'll see. Cut the tree down and see if it will continue to grow. It has to stay rooted. has to stay abiding. And when we do that, we experience God's continual love and grace because we need it. We mess up a lot. I had to say I'm sorry once in the house yesterday. You know, it's only the time all year I had to do that. I'm just kidding. But, you know, uh, but God forgives us constantly, doesn't he? But only if we're abiding in him. It doesn't mean, remember I say it all the time, Jesus never said, well done, good and perfect servant. He said, good and faithful servant. You know, you stay rooted, you stay abiding, you come, you say, you're here today, and Lord, I'm coming to worship, and you know, I really didn't feel like worshiping, but I'm confessing as I'm worshiping. By, and God says, I will wash you, cleanse you, and re-anoint you. Hallelujah. That's what he does. What happens is joy to the world becomes joy to our soul. Because joy to the world isn't all that personal, is it? That's kind of like to the masses. Even though Jesus came to the masses, we see often he went one-on-one -on -one like the Samaritan woman. One-on-one -on -one with a leper. One-on-one -on -one with a blind man. He did come to the world, but we see that that kind of picture of that God was coming to the world, but he was coming to you and me personally. Joy to the world becomes joy to my personal soul. And it's not a seasonal joy. It's a perpetual joy. And I love this passage. We'll close here with Acts 13.52. And the disciples, you and I are not called to be just Christians. We're called to be disciples. Yeah. 
apprentices of Jesus, followers, cross-taking up. We're not called to just be Christians. We're called to be disciples. And when you stand before Jesus one day, he will dictate whether you're a disciple or not. Don't wait till then to rectify that. Be a disciple now. But he said the disciples were filled with what? Joy. This is well after. Jesus was long after Bethlehem. Jesus already gone back into heaven. Why were they filled with joy? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we see that the Holy Spirit and joy are synonymous in their impartation to our soul. Amen? That unless you abide, there's no work of the Holy Spirit. And if there's no work of the Holy Spirit, there's no work of joy. But Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again. We praise you again for the sending forth of your Son. And Lord, even if we've experienced joy, you said that it could be full. There's a greater joy that we could experience. And I pray that even these words, which are your living words, would stir joy in our hearts. And Lord, that none of us came in here deserving joy any more than we deserve grace. But Lord, we... We want to ask you to be merciful and to wash us and to cleanse us and to renew the joy. Even David, Lord, said to you, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We can be saved in lacking joy, and we need that joy restored. And with our heads bowed, I just, just, I want to pray with you. First, I want to ask one question. If you're here today, and I ask it all the time, when I get to heaven, I'm never going to have God say, you ask people too often if they're saved. But he will say, you should have asked it more. But before we close, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never experienced peace with God and the joy that comes in knowing your sins are forgiven, I want you to stand right where you're at. Just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. They will not be saving you. Only Jesus will do that. If you say, I, I don't know him as my Lord and Savior, but I want to, just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about anyone's thinking about it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to put people on the spot. I'm just trying to extend the greatest news that the world has ever received, that your sins can be forgiven, and you can know where you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father. Anyone at all. With your heads bowed, if you say, man, I could, my joy has been less than I believe God would have it. Just put your hand up for one second. Just one second. I don't, I'm not really even looking. It's more, I'm, it's really just the Lord speaking to you. I'm not even paying attention to who, what. But I want to, you can put them down, but I just want to pray with you. Because Jesus expressed, I've come that your joy would be full. I've had, you raised your hands, I've had both hands up sometimes this year. So there's times where I've said, Lord, I have no joy right now. Why? You ever ask that question of God? When you know you know him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, draw a little closer. He, he will allow sometimes a non-joyful moment of affliction to fester so we would crave him even more. 
so we've got to like remove all the obstacles. Like the shepherds, they weren't worried about, well, who's going to watch the sheep tonight? Did, were they? No, they ran to Bethlehem. So I just want to pray with you, and then we're going to close in song. Lord, you've seen these hearts. You've seen these hands. Lord, we need more of your joy. And Lord, whether it's been pain, some sort of trial, affliction, could be just a little rebellion in us, some stubbornness, some unforgiveness, some sin that we're holding on to. Lord, all of these things will rob us of the joy that is full when we are at peace with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd search each heart. There's not a magic prayer, but, Lord, there is, as you do, you search the hearts of men. And, Lord, we can never be sorry enough, but we can be sincere. And, Lord, we sincerely ask that you cleanse us, that you reunite us with the work of the Spirit, and that you would impart joy, that when we leave this place, Lord, it would be genuine. That we're not faking it, Lord, that we'd have enough joy that we couldn't help but tell someone, do you know Jesus? Lord, because we've experienced that joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just refresh it, wash us, refill us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.